Hey, Millennial listeners, uh, it's Max here. I want to let you guys know uh, we put out together a, a few shirts, some merch that's gone out. Um, maybe you guys do or don't know this, but uh, we're bringing together a lot of brand new designs, things that are really relevant to uh, Neon. We hope you guys like them. Um, things like All Over Neck Print Gator, which is a, a really cool uh, kind of print that we put together for fans of Neon, uh, the Neon of the Future, which is you know rewarding female Neon vendors out there uh, who are doing all sorts of cool work, as well as uh, Hot Bends, uh, which is a sweatshirt and also a t-shirt. If you guys don't know already, uh, we, like I said, these are exclusives uh, to Mono Neon and uh, you can go out there and check them out. They're on the website under merch. Thanks. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. Hey everyone, it's Max here with Mono Neon and with Corey Siegel from the Museum of Neon Art, who's the executive director. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Corey, you've got a lot of things going on. Obviously, everything happening with the coronavirus shutting down the museum, people gathering and everything. But I want to go back and just kind of admire and connect all this kind of personal moments for people. Maybe who haven't been to the museum. People have got kind of maybe perused online. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, maybe your entry point? It is fairly recently since you've joined. Um, you know, what was your experiences around Neon and kind of what got you into the museum in the first place? You can go back as far as you want. So... Sure. Um, so I'm definitely new to the field of neon and also to the Museum of Neon Art. The museum has been around for 39 years. So um, it's a really quite a gem of an institution, small but mighty. And it's a really one of a kind um, space. We have historic signage, neon art. Uh, we also have a classroom that teaches neon bending. And we've been doing a lot of online initiatives in the coronavirus shutdown. I signed on to the museum April 1st. So it's definitely been a very strange tenure as an executive director because I haven't met any of my coworkers in person. Um, since I became the executive director of the Museum of Neon Art. And it's just been a really amazing kind of team building time, despite the fact we're all in our separate apartments working away and kind of trying to think of ways that we can connect our audiences with the energetic qualities of neon when they might not be able to come into our galleries or experience neon um, up close in our museum. And also too is it's what's really cool is I think in a lot of ways the museum's done an excellent job of kind of rethinking what's going on with the crisis. Everyone refers to it as the crisis but I think this is the best time to sort of reimagine what it is that we're doing even as artists or even kind of museums curate collections. I think as we kind of go back into what we think is normalcy or kind of happen to be there's always going to be a shift and so I think with kind of the development around some of the self-guided tours. As a direct response, I mean, there's been some really great things, like for instance, the Glendale's neon signage that you kind of allowed. Now, I know there's a lot going on in terms of the riot and everything that's happening around that, even with the shutdown and kind of the cur the curfew. I, you know, I do want to talk about that a little bit, but I mostly want to focus on what you've done primarily before, you know, before all that even took place. You had you know, the Alex Theater's historic sign, trips across the street to Damon's, which is serving, you know, uh, tiki cocktails serving out under the neon sign. So I think that this 
guided tour, a philosophy, at least for people that kind of go out there and experience these signs that are actually relatively close by that they've actually walked by many, many times, or if not more than that. I do think inviting people to kind of just do those basic things to kind of think about me on and kind of get around that issue of having to go into a space, a closed space, but with obviously the social distancing and everything else like that involved. How did that kind of transpire? Even though everyone is kind of working remotely, how have you guys been able to communicate all of that? Because it's really a, a great way to kind of bring people together, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, number one, we have an amazing team and everyone is just so committed to the mission of the museum to bring neon to light for all audiences, both the people that, you know, are already excited about this magic medium and also people that might not know that neon glass is bent by hand. And we want to be able to welcome in all audiences. My background is as a, a museum's person. So I am, um, I'm an artist, but um, have, many, many years of museum education experience. And one thing that was exciting to me, even before the pandemic, when I was interviewing for this position, was that um, in other museums, you talk about a painting on a wall, and that painting is one of a kind. Maybe you can see paintings from that artist in other institutions. But basically, once you leave the museum, you have the memory of that. But with neon, even though each sign, each artwork is a unique piece, um, it has this sort of democratic element to it. So you can turn the whole city into a museum of neon art if you kind of know what to look for. So that was something that was really exciting and appealing about joining on at the museum because I'm very interested in accessibility and finding ways of uh, expanding the experience of the museum to kind of what is outside of the doors of the the museum. And then when the pandemic hit, that was one of the first ideas that we should make walks around town accessible to um, people because the way the stay-at-home order was for Los Angeles was that you could leave your home and walk around your neighborhood. So we started with the Glendale light walk um, is what we call them, kind of a play on words. So we started with glowing Glendale since we're located in that area. And then we continued on to um, East Hollywood lights and um, Koreatown. So these are all different ways of getting people out, getting them curious, getting them active, because I think, at least for me, I've spent so much time in the last few months just staring at another form of light at my screen of my computer. And it's so nice to kind of get moving and um, develop curiosity around your neighborhood and see things anew. And also, too, I think, you know, what's really unique about this conversation is you guys have been doing this for a while. I don't think it was necessarily just because of this moment where things kind of got towards the guided tours. Uh, you had a whole series of neon cruises where you would take basically a convertible British bus and roll it down basically, you know, L.A., where we had Eric Linksweiler on talking about the neon cruises and his sort of private neon experiences and how he was able to kind of, uh, bring people in a little bit more closer, not necessarily having them just kind of like 
goggle about all the different signs that are on the walls, but basically, you know, the, what are the, what is the heritage? You know, why are we, why are we looking at these things? You know, even deeper than sort of just going about the, the signs being an interesting thing to look at. And so, you know, just kind of going back and forth here is like the signs for that people don't know they're there. Um, you know, there is some special weight to them. They can be represented in photog- you know, photos. And uh, I think that your Instagram account does a really good job of this too. Um, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier is the counterpoint to this is social media. So we now have this connectivity that we didn't necessarily have before. I think it's making the COVID situation much more manageable. Like you said, we are looking at the other light, but they kind of go hand in hand. I think there's no way to kind of eliminate either one of them. In fact, I think that the direct response that has been sort of the technology side has played a really intricate part in Neon's existence, especially now we talk about a lot and I brought it up a lot and I'll continue to say it because I think it's really important. You know, we kind of look at it as, okay, this thing we have to monitor or minimize, but we clearly haven't really kind of evaluated what the, the, the existential means of it are, meaning the, the way that it can kind of go out there and just start to attach itself. Um, you know, I, for, for instance, the Pasadena rug mart, you know, especially uh, I wouldn't necessarily be able to, you know, see this. I'm all the way on the East coast was that, you know, this is founded by the 1932 by an Iranian refugees to Pasadena. So likely these stories, similar to what we're doing right now, wouldn't necessarily be able to get out there. I think this is really story time, especially when you look at establishing those showrooms and, you know, things like the 1948 Billy's restaurant deli, which is basically a place to get corned beef. We don't know what it was like to be there, but because of these signs actually being in existence online, we can kind of imagine what it's like. And so I think that's kind of the best place. And then from there, like you said, is kind of send people out into the world to actually go see them in person if they are in fact in the street. But there's still a lot that can be said about the digital catalog of Neon, even though people argue it's not as good as being there in person. We all agree. (laughs) But, you know, at least you can kind of give people a history lesson. I think that's the best thing that the Mm -hmm. museum has done in my book is being able to uh, tell what's going on behind the scenes, not just a pretty sign. There was a kind of a reason for it to be in existence and having that, have you guys, how have you been able to kind of catalog that or at least kind of maintain that presence? Cause it is tricky to kind of find out who made this thing, where did it come from? Um, but you've done a great job of that so far. Yeah. Um, I, th- I feel like Eric, who you had on earlier, would probably speak better. He's definitely one of our resident sign rescuers. But um, I've, um, over the course of the last three months that I've been at Mona, have been involved in two sign donations. And you work really closely with the families and you collect their stories. And um, it's very moving. Um, recently, we were given the circus of books sign. Um, and I, I actually broke down on the phone crying to the daughter of the um, former um, owners because it just was so meaningful to hear from them kind of what it meant to them to um, run this bookstore. And you can also um, go on Netflix and watch Circus of Books, which is a documentary that Rachel Mason, the daughter of um, the owners, made about this, you know, um, mom and pop shop that became, I think, the biggest distributors of hardcore gay porn in the 80s, but had, were very much tied up in the AIDS crisis, First Amendment rights, and really um, kind of the uh, another wave of the gay rights movement. So these stories are 
embedded in the signs. And I think the reason why neon really catches us is it's not only this amazing um, phenomenon, but it's also something we kind of keep in our heart. And when people see these signs, like for example, the Brown Derby, they remember, like they can taste the Cobb salad. They can hear the music that they heard when they went to visit the Brown Derby. And that's been kind of a new initiative where we're trying to capture people's stories and archive those because they're just as important as these signs. Um, the, the influence that these businesses had on the communities that they were located in and also the families that ran them, that's, that's a very important part of our mission at Mona is to save those stories and um, show that it's not just about having a cool looking sign, it's also about the historical um, meaning behind these works of art. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're speaking to is really about creating an experience. You know, at the end of the day, there really is only one thing that constitutes that level of uniqueness, and which is really brand. And people feel the moment they interact with your product, with your service, and they say, well, where else can I get this? Like specific innate reaction, like you said, is the gut feeling of that moment that you walked into that restaurant and you had that reaction to the pastrami or the good enough reaction you had when you walked away and the customer service was exceptional, but you had to look and say, okay, that sign means something to me now because not only do I care about this business, but I care about its legacy. I'll come back. I'll, I'll, I had a positive reaction. And now I'm going to tell everybody about, about this amazing place that I you know, sat down. And I think we really have to think about, you know, what are those good feelings all about? You know, it's not just like you said, is the reality is that, okay, it is a sign, but it doesn't necessarily sell it. It's got to be something else. So it, maybe it advertises a certain time to a certain demographic. And you really never know where that collect, you know, that collectoral type of uh, feel is going to come from. You know, I think there's something interesting about people who love to collect. They're sort of the last, the first to deploy something like, okay, I got to get it all. And then there's some energy in that that basically allows you to showcase a personal side of your life, like something that switches you on. And I think that people really are captivated, like you said, by neon. It's simplicity, but then. Also, the complexity around it is a bit of a mysteriousness, too. And I think it all kind of like said it kind of all goes back to what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? And what's what's that? What does that convey to people? Because, you know, like you said, there's very few things nowadays that can hold on to that that sense of, of purity. I think it's the relationship we have now with modern objects. Like if you go back and you look at how things are built or how things are made, we're kind of all expecting to fall apart in here or they're all made out of plastic. I think we kind of have a kind of a massive corporation feel to everything we sort of do now, or we think about businesses in a long-term sense, but there's a really sort of single track transaction. You know, you can imagine it going bad and having another replacement very soon. Whereas I think we build trust in Neon somewhat, and I think everybody expects it to do its job. You turn it on and it's supposed to glow. But, you know, <laughs> I think that's really the end of the, the, the deal there is that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to get a message across and neon just screams a little bit louder than everything else around it. <laughs> mm. You know, at that point, I think, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think there's something to be said about um, just taking over a message. So artists that have begun to take over the museum too, like not only just the signs and what they can do, but there's sort of an overall takeover with your Instagram too. <laughs> like yeah. the creation of pieces with artists. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, so every Saturday we have a studio takeover. 
Um, over the past two weeks, we've put that on hold in respect of the unrest that's happening throughout the world and kind of um, asking for um, change and um, support for people of color. So we thought we didn't want to um, kind of quiet those voices. So we decided to take a little break from that, but we will be starting up on the 20th again um, of June. But um, every Saturday, what we've been doing is having a takeover with several different neon artists that have actually been on um, your podcast. And it's been a really wonderful thing from showing the process of an artwork from start to finish to how one might set up their own um, bending studio um, to how someone might draw a pattern and fix a sign that's already in existence. So that's been a really um, fun initiative where you really get to see um, everyone's different style, what they have in their studio, what their processes are, um, their favorite part, what got them into neon. So a lot of um, the Instagram takeovers have like an ask me component and I, I love watching them and asking the artists different questions as well because it's definitely something that um, I've been learning from just seeing different artists practice and um, I think there's just something really special and unique about being brought into an artist's studio. Mm -hmm. And also like the veil of secrecy behind it. I think now more than ever, we now have the opportunity to kind of share with people what exactly neon is. I think there's still a lot of confusion, especially in the general sense. You know, people will argue that, okay, well, I know what neon is. It's like the thing that you just like, uh, you know, you can go to buy the store, you can go buy the components to it there, right? And you kind of look at them and you kind of square. <laughs> they don't really uh, understand what the steps are. And so I think for a lot of artists, especially with the ones that we've been on the show, they come from such varied backgrounds, especially when you look at the opportunities that they've been given and also the ability for them to uh, share what it is. You know, I think that we talked about this earlier too, is just accessibility. So if you are wondering like, okay, how do I do this? What exactly am I even gonna be doing when I'm watching this? You just tune in, you click as easy as clicking a button, right? So I think now artists like Danny Benet, um, you know, we have people like Eve Hoyt, uh, Taylor Dratlow. These are just some of the people that have been on the show, but Allison Buchanan, uh, they've got, you know, they've kind of got their own thing. And what's really great is that they've all kind of come together and done shows together and whatnot. But when you look at the consistency in their work and you see that they're out there all the time doing this type of stuff, like promoting what they're doing and having that ability and then kind of just sharing it with other people, I think it's giving the museum a chance for it to kind of thrive in the sense that, you know, there's new artists coming out. Um, you know, I think certain museums uh, kind of look the other way. I, I don't necessarily know if it's just uh, the, the perspective on art or the ability for people to kind of say, well, you know, I could never do that. I feel like you guys have done a really good job of um, keeping those lines of communication parallel. Like, you know, it might necessarily mean that it's a hundred year old sign, but you know, it seems like you guys have taken both and, and run with it. Is it ever difficult to kind of, you know, curate in that sense, or do you have perspective on that at all? I mean, I'm not sure if there's any kind of question there, but I do find there's a nice mix between the two, especially with the museum. 
Yeah, I, thank you so much for that. And again, I think that's um, owing to Ani and Jess, who are um, wonderful employees at Mona, who actually kind of dreamt up this initiative. And I said, let's go for it. And um, I think that the amazing thing about Mona is that we've been around for 39 years, which is a really pretty long time in terms of museums in Los Angeles. We've always been run by artists and the board is primarily made out of artists um, and some historians. But, um, you know, oftentimes in museums, that's not the way leadership goes. So I think that there's something really unique about what Mona has done um, for a very long time and really centering around the craft and being a museum that is very dedicated to um, getting deep into the process of something. And I remember when I, when I first interviewed, I was just like, wow, like, I'm surrounded with a bunch of nerds and weirdos, and this is the best thing I could possibly imagine for a work environment because I think it takes a lot of tenacity to keep on doing it. It's a lot of hard work, and oftentimes artists don't end up as administrators because it's, you know, it's a very strange skill set. Um, and oftentimes artists might not be the best administrators in some ways, but what they might lose in or lack in some aspects. I think they make up for in creativity and willingness to um, connect and collaborate. And I think it's also, um, I mean, not only owing to Mona, but it's also owing to the generosity of um, all the artists who are just so talented and generous t taking us into their studios because it's a pretty nerve wracking thing to be on camera just in general, let alone be bending. And um, it's a craft that takes an extremely long time and lots of focus. And to add in filming oneself and talking to the public, that's a lot of pressure. So um, I think that's a really special thing that also is maybe indicating um, shifts in the neon community as well. And, and also ways that this art form is opening up um, to various different new ways of spreading knowledge because um, it's, you know, over the past hundred years, it's really kind of changed, at least in my knowledge of how people learned and um, how they were trained. And it, is still a skill set where certain methods are really guarded. So it's really amazing to see this kind of new generation of vendors really being generous and sharing their knowledge and um, encouraging people to get more involved. And I think part of that too is just sort of like you said, is that the timing of events couldn't be better. I think people would always kind of argue this consistent sort of nature of like well neon is almost about to go away and i always kind of laugh at it because it's kind of half half put together part of it is just something to, something about people they kind of argue there are fewer signs and it's very true right it's historically true but there's a lot of preservation more ever happening now than there ever was i think and when you look at the communication between each groups so you know especially we talked about this sort of the the artists kind of uh, pulling together and doing all sorts of things like putting together 
shows or, you know, making themselves uh, more well known is just, I think you said, is that it's a constant evolution. I think we're at a better place now with Neon than we were, you know, 20 years ago. I would argue that. And I don't necessarily, I wasn't around 50 years ago, but, you know, I can still think about what it was like then. And I can tell you that it was much more commercial and probably much more <laughs> prevalent and it might be harder to kind of consistently package it in a way that people would even expect to sit down and look at all of that especially if there's so many signs around they could just walk out and see hundreds of thousands of signs so even though we want it to look that way if you're a fan of neon i think there just wouldn't be as much um uh, you know it's almost like it's it would have been too soon does that make sense mm -hmm. um, you know, so now that we have something to think about, I mean, it's easier to kind of point to it and go, okay, well, now that, that was a reason to go on and go out there and save the, you know, f you know, five, six hundred army that are left in, in, in that area. But I guess one thing I was going to mention too is that there's, um, they even talk, talks of, of, of like a re an artist residency happening. Have you guys gotten further down the road with that at all? Um, I am in the process of getting funds to make this happen. Um, but, you know, with coronavirus stuff and redirection of funds, we'll see how that goes. Um, but it's definitely something that um, will happen down the line. When in can particular people, it how happens- can, How can people help this museum? Like, um, you know, what, what should they be doing to help during this time? I mean, it's, it's critical, this, the museum's not open. What yeah. can people do to help the museum, I should say? Um, well, you can become a member or you can donate to the museum or you can buy from our gift shop. Um, you can follow us. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, if you live in LA, you can volunteer your time. There's a lot of different ways. And I think, um, part of what we want is just to expand our neon family and bring everyone in. Um, I think there's so many different ways to help, um, monetarily or just in terms of volunteering or just in terms of you know checking us out and seeing um if you you're interested in the message we're sharing that's a good idea and all good things to, to reason with i mean if you go online i'm very accessible to the website has a lot of really good information Mm -hmm. about you know how you can uh get more involved one of the things i love so much is just you know, scrolling through and seeing the different, you know, news updates and stuff. So you can obviously go uh, to Mona's Facebook, uh, look at the museums. You know, you guys are constantly updating everything each and every day, I noticed. We try to, yeah. And also any plans coming up for what's next? I mean, I know it's so difficult to kind of see down the road a little bit, you know, anything you want to leave uh, listeners with that they can, you know, get, in, get into or just kind of expect? Well, we're starting another Instagram takeover called Stroll Through History, which will be with artists, historians, genuinely curious individuals that will take people on walks through different neighborhoods in LA or um, also we're open to around the world if anyone is interested in participating in that takeover. Also, if anyone's interested in participating in the studio takeover, you can reach out to us on Instagram or via our website. Um, we also are in plans to reopen. We have been given the go ahead. Um, museums can reopen. 
starting Friday this week in Los Angeles County, but we're um, making sure that we can be as safe as possible when we reopen. You can also, another thing that isn't new, but, um, or isn't upcoming, but it is new, is we created a family guide called Neon in Your Neighborhood that teaches about kind of basic fundamentals of science, physics, history, neon. And um, even though it's kind of geared towards kids, a lot of adults have told me that they've spent a lot of time coloring the um, coloring book pages in that um, guide. So you can check that out. Um, but we're at um, Museum of Neon Art at Instagram, and our website is neonmona.org. So N E O N M O N A.org. And um, we have lots of fun things in store, but um, you'll have to follow us to, to figure out what's next. There you go. Go and subscribe. Everybody, thank you so much, Corey, for coming on uh, the show. I really appreciate the time, and I hope the museum all the best. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. Mononium would like to give a shout-out to people who have left reviews, which helps give context as to why this is a worthwhile podcast. Uh, I think the cosine is a very big deal, and so here's a, a favorite review that we want to highlight from a robot voice generator. Today's review titled The Highlight Neon Deserves Ribbon by Radiant Neon says I am just going to say it. Neon is awesome, and Mondo Neon is an excellent resource. It has so many fun outlets for learning, everything from how neon is made, to how vendors got their start, to what it is like in different regions, and everything in between. Subscribe and meet new people plus learn all kinds of new and interesting things about the Neon Glow. Thanks for writing in and keep leaving reviews cause yours could be next. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great Neon guests coming up and as always, thanks for listening.